Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, our lesson today tells us that Christ, though he was in the form of God, was God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited. You know, if you're actually God, you can pretty much do whatever you want, when you want, right? And other lesser beings had better play ball. But that would be exploiting, taking advantage of the very people who probably need encouragement and empowerment themselves. Exploiting one's rank in the, in the hierarchy is, of course, not a temptation unique to God. This was a lesson learned by Christian Herter, who was the governor of Massachusetts in the 1950s. At the time, he was seeking re-election, and after one very hard day on the campaign trail, after he had to skip lunch and arrive late to a church barbecue in the afternoon, and he was uh, really hungry, for starters, and he was a little cranky as well. As he moved down the serving line, as Herder himself uh, tells the story, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, the governor said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. Now, Governor Herder was apparently, by all accounts, a modest and unassuming man, but he decided this time he would throw his weight around just a little bit. Do you know who I am, he said to this woman. I'm the governor of the state. Do you know who I am, the woman replied. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. <laughs> Move along, mister. <laughs> well, the governor tried to pull rank, and the chicken lady was having none of it. Gutsy lady. Wow. Well, in our lesson today from Philippians, we learned that Christ, when he walked the earth as Jesus, most definitely did not ask the chicken lady if she knew who he was. No, Jesus was more inclined to join her behind the serving table and start serving chicken, or perhaps join those who were making uh, sandwiches, as uh, some of our members did last week to share with the homeless. Verses 6 through 11 in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians are referred to as the Christological hymn because it lays out a striking interpretation of who Christ is. Namely, God emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. For instance, most people throughout history have assumed that each person must um, 
rise up one way or another and make oneself presentable and holy enough in order to be acceptable to God. And studies show most Christians today absolutely believe that. Yet here in the Christ hymn, we learn something quite different. The key isn't our rising up, it's someone else coming down. That Christ, we learn, stoops to our level, even the level of the very lowest among us. And two things are apparent here. First, in this uh, emptying, lowering action on God's part, God intends to sort of scoop us all up in all of our messiness into the very life of God. Yes, even and especially the lowly among us. And secondly, in this new life we're given, God is at work in you, enabling you to work for God's purposes. And our model for how we work is a servant, or as they describe it in the text, a slave. This is where our callings come from, is that mind of Christ, that attitude, that world view. And as we learn from the children's message, when we give out of God's eternal store of blessings, there's always enough there, right, for everybody, we will be filled again. Now, the very idea of God choosing radical downward mobility was completely against the expectations of Jesus' day. In the ancient world, a God who was born in human likeness was a self-demoting God, and not a God who was frankly very useful to anybody. Gods needed to be, you know, godlike in their powers, capable of going to bat for you and for your tribe. Now, it's one thing for, uh, for, for Zeus to put on a human suit and become human for a day and you know, play tricks on people, if you know about Greek mythology. But for the God above all others to adopt humility, to empty himself, taking the form of a slave, subjecting himself to suffering and crucifixion, in Paul's and Jesus' culture, only slaves were supposed to be humble, and what God would ever submit himself to death? So, of what value? is a God of servitude, humility, and submission unto death. Simply put, only a servant God can show us the way back to life. Jesus, you see, reverses the template laid down for humanity by Adam, the, our parent of the first humanity, who sought to become, as we recall, more like God, and in his striving set a tragic course for human beings. Christ Jesus does just the opposite of Adam, becoming less like God on the power scale, if you will, in order to become fully and humbly human. It is only by Christ's reversal that we will ever be free from our dance with death. Only in Christ will we ever be able to let go of trying to play the two-bit gods that we try to play and to relinquish the world that that creates for us? How do we name such a world? Tragically tribal, a dog-eat-dog world that makes Game of Thrones and House of Cards not unreasonable facsimiles of our own history.
as human beings. This fallen world consists of win-lose scenarios where ultimately everyone loses. But then God comes down all the way down, gathers us up into the life of God, and teaches us how to create win-win scenarios. Be a servant and serve the common good. Insist that everyone can win, and no one is kicked to the side of the curb. A point of view such as this comes from God. Again, as we were reminded in the children's message, God's love and blessings are enough for everyone. No reason we can't strive for win-win. Now, when Christ took the form of a slave or servant, we might think, well, that's the opposite of of God. But here's the fascinating part. It is not the opposite of God. You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus who took the form of a servant. Look at the servant. Look at the hotel cleaning maid, or the lady serving chicken. Want to know who God is? Now, to fully appreciate what, God, what Paul is suggesting here about God, uh, we need to examine how his audience in the city of Philippi would have understood these words when they read the letter. Uh, Philippi could be divided into two groups at that time. Slave and free. Slaves in Philippi had more rights than slaves from our recent past. They were indentured servants, really, but but slaves nonetheless. Now, in the Philippian world, if someone was free, but they did not have a slave, they were only marginally free themselves. You see, in pre-modern times, if you didn't have someone to do the menial tasks of life, obtaining food every day, cooking, cleaning, washing clothes, and the like, you may have been technically free, but you didn't have much free time. Without a slave, people in Philippi were typically bound to a largely private life, tied to the home front and to their own family, not able to pursue other things. But for those who could afford a slave or slaves, they were free to leave the house and assemble in the public square. It was in the public square that free men, and it was always men in this society, sadly, gathered to discuss the state of their community and then take action on behalf of the common good. This is, in part, how the city of Philippi was run. This is is who Paul's writing to. In Philippians 1.27, Paul writes to the followers of Christ in Philippi that they are to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is a phrase translated from the the Greek word politeuiste, from which we get the word politics. And what it meant in that context is that free men would gather to discuss and deliberate on behalf of the interests of their citizens. They were serving their neighbors. Now, it's important to point out here that these verses do not constitute an endorsement of slavery, although through our own American history, some have tried to make it so. Rather, they are an affirmation of the value of those at the bottom. They matter, and the value of the work that they do. 
What cannot be lost here is that the free men could leave the house and gather to engage in mission because their slaves made them free. Without a slave, you would not have that free time to assemble. Now, Paul is telling the new Christians in this Greek city that God in Jesus became a slave in this world. And who do you think the audience is who's reading this letter? Free men who had slaves, that's who. Free men who were free to assemble at church because of those slaves. And now Paul is saying God took the form of one of their slaves, the very ones who set their masters free. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Also, Paul is using an analogy here. Jesus didn't actually become a slave to anyone in his life. And again, slavery is not being endorsed as an institution, even though it is assumed by the writer as a part of their world. But Jesus did come into this world we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, to become fully invested in the human condition in its lowliest expressions, meaning that God stands with the lowliest in our world. It also means that just as slaves and servants have always freed people to assemble publicly to be in mission, so too does Christ come to us as a servant who sets us free. But free for what? To live lives that are worthy of the good news of Jesus, Paul tells us in Philippians. Which means to gather together in community as we are today. We've been freed to be here today through the gift of faith and through our motivation to make a difference in the world. To discern our callings, what God is up to in us, in the world. To gather in community and discern what God is calling us to do on behalf of our neighbors. So our callings, you see, are not a burden but a blessing. Our callings, how God is at work in us, working for God's purpose, is one of the glories of our freedom. And in our freedom, don't forget the lady serving chicken or the maid cleaning your hotel room. I think what's being suggested here is that what they do is closer to the heart and mind of Christ Jesus than we can imagine. Amen.